So, Father, I just pray that <clears throat> you speak to our hearts, Lord, concerning your bride, the church. It's a great privilege and honor to be a part of this living just thing, Lord, that you've put together with your sons and daughters, and, and you just choose to just reveal your nature and yourself to this entire planet through the church. And it, it doesn't happen without us. It doesn't happen without us. And so I, I just thank you, Lord, for the privilege um, and the responsibility um, that we get to share in what you're doing, Father. We're just not spectators on the sideline of a God who just does whatever he would like at any moment in time, and we just watch the action. You have great calling on each and every one of us to play very important parts. So I just thank you for that, Father. That's incredible. The trust that you have in us, Lord, and the destiny that you have over us, Father, we just thank you for it. It's a great privilege, and it's an honor, Father. So open our eyes, Lord, to to help us to see the big picture. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, so we're studying through this book of 1 Timothy together as a church family because um, we are going to be entering into like a different season for our church family. And that different and unique season is is more of, um, it's healthy and it's good. And so it's important for us just to talk about that together, to, to read in the Bible exactly why changes will be happening. And I'm, I'm hoping that you're going to see as we study through the Word that you're going to say, oh, well, this is like normal. This is the way God said you should really be doing things. And we're going to, and, and I hope it builds a confidence and a comfort level in each and every one of you that you feel like, you know what? We're going on track with the way that God had things laid out at the very beginning when he was setting churches up and he was giving guidelines and parameters and saying, hey, this is kind of the direction that you want to go. Because unfortunately, church has just kind of been boiled down to like, well, what do you think it should be? And what do you think about this? And what do you think about that? And what people should be there? And what should they be doing in those positions? And, and that's a very dangerous way to do anything. Especially something that God says, hey, this is my bride. I want her to walk in purity and in power. And I'm going to display myself on this planet through the church. So, man, it's super dangerous to say, or have any ideas that are just like, well... Yeah, we should do it this way. Like, works in this business, so we should do that too. Church isn't supposed to model the latest trends in culture, and it's not supposed to model the latest business trends that are successful to help reach and increase bottom lines. But it is intended to bring glory to God. It is intended to be a bright, shining light here on earth. To give glory to God. It is intended to be a place where heaven sees and it says, yes, I want to reside there. I want to breathe and speak through those people. They're going to honor my name. They can be entrusted with what I want to give them. And how I want to move. 
And so that's very different to trying to reach a bottom line or, or, or seeing. It's very different. It's very different. I imagine a very sad scenario if we had the entire planet Earth and you had zero churches on planet. Can you imagine? How sad. That is, that's horrible. The presence of the church, big C, globally, on this planet, is so ridiculously significant. If you just think about the prayers of so many people all over the globe, from all languages and backgrounds just being offered, interceding, bringing supplications, I mean, it's just, it's incredible. And then you have to actually have the acts that then are then produced from those people that are in love with Jesus and he's just transformed their life and they just want to just bring that to everyone around them. And can you imagine if just all of that was just taken from the planet? Sad day, right? So we have an awesome privilege and responsibility to be living in an amazing time. And we don't have very long. We don't have very long. I don't have long. You don't have one. We got a little, we got a little. If I got that spray bottle and I spray it in here and you just see the mist for a while and then it goes, that's it. We're dead longer than we're alive. That's not to depress you. That's just, that's just to give you just the reality. I mean, you just got to say what it is. We got some time here, but we don't have a lot. And we got this amazing opportunity to to just partner with the Holy Spirit wants to do in this thing called the church. And there's some things that he says, hey, listen, these are important. There's only ones he says, well, you know, let's leave it to the group there and let them figure it out that's there. So as we work our way through 1 Timothy, um, hopefully we can major in the majors and not major in the minors. You just say, man, yeah, those are important. Those ones, you know, I, I don't know. Because here's the goal. Like, we're not supposed to look like some other church somewhere else. And neither is some other church somewhere else supposed to look like what's happening here. No church is supposed to be like that. And no church really should be a one-stop shop where it just has everything. We're all supposed to function together as a body. Can you imagine if you just had a church that just had everything, had every program, the best worship leaders, the best pastors, the best counseling, the best small group leaders, the best... Everyone would go to that one place. How does that leave any room for God Himself and the Holy Spirit to? It's just that then that church becomes the idol, and everyone just flocks there. And they, I gotta be there. I gotta hear this thing. I gotta be at that group. I'm not there. It's not as good as this one. And so, we were never supposed to be locked into a rat race like that. So it's a really beautiful and amazing thing. And unfortunately, a lot of times it's just gotten really ugly and really divisive. We just have a way of doing that. When we're left to our own devices, we can just get kind of ugly and be divided and be kind of chaotic. So, let me give you a quick backdrop and catch you up real quick if you've missed uh, some of this First Timothy study. Um, Tim, or Paul is writing this. And Timothy's like his spiritual father. They're not technically related. But in the Lord, he calls him like his spiritual son. You hear that language sometimes from people. It might sound a little strange. 
it wasn't that strange in the early church. Sometimes there's just some men and women in our lives that really show us God's heart. And they're really impactful. And it's like, man, that's like my spiritual like, mother or father. You know, It doesn't mean that they replace your earthly mother and father. It just means spiritually. It's just been really impactful and significant. Some of us have those. Some of us don't. It's not that foreign when it happens, though. It, ha- it does happen. And so that's like what it was. Timothy to Paul is like a spiritual son. <laughs> he's a young guy. He's not married. No kids. <clears throat> he's been around with Paul for a little while now couple years. And first um, piece of advice that he tells Timothy, because Timothy now, he's going to take over some churches in an area, Ephesus. So you have the book of Ephesians, right? He's going to watch over that church. And there are some other churches in a region called Macedonia. So he's going to watch over these. And it's interesting that Paul says this young guy who's not married with no kids and doesn't have a ton of experience. It's interesting to me. So He sends him his first word of wisdom and advice. He's got a whole thing that he wants to get to. Paul does. He has has like something he really wants to get to. But he starts off his letter by saying, hey, listen, protect your doctrine. Protect it. What people are teaching, what they're saying in church, pay attention to that. Because there's people in that church saying things about God and about his character and about his grace and love towards people. And it's not accurate. It's not right. Said, go confront them right away. <clears throat> Don't let it happen. And let them know that this is not what I brought to you, what I taught. And Timothy you gotta go handle that. That was like his, that was the way he opened up the letter. You see, Timothy probably feeling the pressure right away. Like, oh, gotta confront. But that's what he's told to do. <clears throat> then from there, Paul tells him, hey, listen, keep fighting the good fight. Don't stop. You're going to get discouraged. You're going to get distressed. Things are going to be difficult. Being a part of a church family, especially leading it for the right way, with the right reasons, with the purity of heart, it's incredibly difficult and taxing mentally, spiritually, emotionally. It's just, it's a lot because it's not some easy thing. It's not like you just get a group, it's not a club where you get a group of people together. Leaders of a church, what they're saying is they're saying, hey, listen, we are looking to be on the front lines to take back what the enemy has stolen. And we want to cultivate and rise up people who are in love with Jesus and embrace his transformational work. And we want to send them out and do the same. We're going to multiply this thing. That is... That's incredible to start an army like that and look to multiply it and your enemy knows all about it and he's trying to stop it and disrupt it. Just do anything he can to be problematic. And Paul's like, listen, Timothy, fight the good fight, man. Keep on it. Keep on it. Stay in. Stay in. So watch your doctrine. Watch what people are saying. They're, they're not using grace the right way. Right? So fix that. Confront them. Also, fight the good fight of faith. Then he like turns and he gets into men and women. <coughs> and he kind of breaks down. There is some chaos there and some things happening in that church and some other churches. Men 
were not quite stepping up the way they needed to be. And women were actually being very disorderly. And it was getting chaotic. So we had some difficult words, which we talked about last week. And we talked, well, I would say listen to the message online, but it, it got all messed up. So Apparently, you can't have a cell phone next to the recorder. They all got recorded. And I'll, I'll give it to all of you if you want. But when you listen, you're going to hear a hammer going, doo, 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 during the whole message. It's very distracting. I'll give you the gist. This is not going to do justice, but I'm going to give you the gist. The gist was, Paul said to women, he said, basically said to men, make sure when they come to the church that um, man, their, men, their hands are held high in prayer. And when they do it, it's not, they're not doubtful and they're not in anger. Men had an issue there of physically expressing what the Spirit was doing around them. And Paul's saying, that's not okay. Like, it's, it's, it's like good that they, they could be like this, be like, yep, Spirit's working, this is good. He said, but no, there needs to be some sort of physical like expression behind that to, to, to show that. Then he says to the women, he says, listen, the women there, they seem more important about what they look like on the outside than what's going on on the inside. So make sure you encourage their hearts with the beauty that really matters. Because apparently they don't really quite know their value and who they are. They think that they're really worth a lot if they really look good. And that's the furthest thing from the gospel truth of how God made women. And then from there, he goes into the next part. And he says, and all the women, they need to be silent. And he didn't actually just say it. Somebody said, amen, that was just that. <laughs> and from there, we all know who said it, let's be honest. From there, he doesn't just say it in 1 Timothy, he also says it in 1 Corinthians. Which is interesting because the paradox is, is in another book, in 1 Corinthians, earlier on, he says, hey, listen, when they pray or prophesy <coughs> in public, you know, make sure their head is covered. <coughs> so he's telling them to be quiet, and he tells them to pray and prophesy. And then there's other situations where women are doing things in church. The short version is, they were being disruptive and disorderly, and Paul really wanted it to stop. The men weren't stepping up and he was trying to get them to step up and to be a place where they can lead well. Because at the end of the day, here's what Paul wanted to express and say to Timothy. He wanted to express and say to Timothy that church, when we have a church service, God is God of order and if things are happening all over the place, it's not helpful for anyone and it's missing the intention and the purpose of what God had designed a time of a church service to have. So does that mean you do three songs? Do you do them first? Do you do really five songs? Can you do two at the end? Should the message be 22 minutes? Can it be an hour? Can you have church all day? Do you have to be at church on Sunday? Do you have to be there on Saturday? Right? There's all these things. And people have been divided on it for a long time, and they still are. But again, I think we want to major in the majors and not in the minors. And honestly, 
You know, a big part of church, it just comes down to the people that you have in your church. Like, what's... what's The God of order here, what we think is order here, when you go to a church in Uganda and they have a church service, their idea of order is very different than our idea of order here. And it doesn't make one more right than the other. Been there, I've been in them. One in Mexico, oh my, that service took forever. It's like six hours. Who's that helping? That's the way they did it. And that's the way they've always done it. And they're going to keep doing it. Regardless of what I think. And praise God for that. Nobody has a lock on what the Lord is doing. It's a beautiful thing that, that the... The Holy Spirit can bring people together in all these different places and express Himself beautifully and perfectly. And so often people are just like, that's not the way we do it. They really shouldn't do it that way. I don't like the way that they do that. We become super cynical about things that are not major issues and become super divisive and then everybody else outside, you're like, the church, they don't even get along. Pastors in the town, they don't even talk. And I'm supposed to love everybody and give them my money, right? That's what we're doing. And that's the, like the, the perception that you get from church. And it's just, it's all jacked up. And so that's why it's really helpful to read through a book like this and kind of get an idea of like what's on God's heart when he's talking about this thing called the church. And certainly one thing is there's not one church anywhere that has it down perfect and nor will one church ever have that. But there are some things that are important. And that's what he's writing Timothy about. So let's take a look. First Timothy chapter 3. That was a little bit of a catch up. Hopefully it was helpful. If you want the hammer version from last week, I can send that to you if you want. It's really difficult to deal with. First Timothy chapter 3. Here's a trustworthy saying. If anyone <coughs> excuse me, sets his heart I'm being an overseer. He desires a noble task. So we're talking about leadership here. So we're talking about church leadership. So now Paul's going to jump into, boom, church leadership. So this is a super helpful part of Scripture. Because it's like, well, who should be church leadership? And what does that look like? Should they have a title? Should they have a name? Can it be a man? Can it be a woman? And if so, what do they do? Who are they accountable to? It's a whole thing, right? Everybody say it's a whole thing the whole thing and not every question will be answered in fact when we're done you're probably gonna have more questions than when we started so there you go here's the trustworthy saying if anyone says hard on being an overseer in your bible you might have a little uh little letter next to it there or you might depending on some version that says it directly uh bishop if anyone says it's hard on being a bishop he desired was a noble task. The word there is episcope, and what that means is that's a ministry church leader. If anybody desires to be a church leader, church overseer, specifically the word bishop is used, so that's a noble task. He said desires, right? So that implies that just because you desire it doesn't exactly mean you become it. I want to lead that church. Well, that's great. That doesn't mean that you're then destined for it and it will happen. But that desire is interesting. 
And if church has really good leadership, then they're going to discover, they're going to walk through things together with that person to help figure out what's going on there and help guide them and position them and see where the Lord puts them. It doesn't make somebody arrogant or conceited. It actually makes them very wise to say, you know what, God is stirring something in me. I think to like lead and just help people. And so it's worth it then to figure out what the Holy Spirit's doing there. It's very significant. And so some people think it's more humble to say, well, I, you know, God doesn't want to do that with me. It'd be kind of arrogant or cocky for me to think that the Lord would do that. Listen, if the Lord has put that on somebody's heart, you have to examine that. You've got to go through it. It's actually a very humble thing to have the same thoughts in your head that God has. It's not humble to have thoughts in our heads that God doesn't have about us. Notice I didn't say anything about thinking more of yourself or less of yourself. I didn't say any of that. I said for us to think about ourselves and view ourselves as God does, that's humility. When you walk with a great confidence, God, I know he's going to take care of me. It's not going to like just leave me in this situation. I just know it. It's not arrogance. It's just a confidence in who your father is. The way you communicate that message might be very arrogant to people. You might be very dismissive with other people, very short with them, right? Just rude. Okay, now you're coming off as arrogant. But you can just say in humility, being like, man, I, I'm just really struggling. You know, I don't know. You know, I still have those same feelings of confusion, but I do know that God is going to be faithful here. Right? That's, that's humility. Thinking horrible about yourself, oh, I'm not worth it, and, and, and I'm just a sinful being, and, and I'm just not worth anything. That's, then why did he die on a cross for you? I'm trying to figure that out, if you're so worthless. Right, so that's not helpful either. So this idea of humility is really having the same thoughts in our minds and in our hearts that God already has there. And it's worth our time and energy and prayer life to figure out what those are. And for some people, they're called to be leaders of a church. It's not for everyone. It's just not. And praise God that it's not. Just like not everybody's going to be helping lead in worship. Just like not everybody's going to be leading counseling sessions. Not everybody's going to be doing hospital visits. Not everybody's going to be in India in a jungle somewhere. There's not too many jungles in India. Say Brazil, <laughs> right? It's just not going to happen. And that's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. When we just like become the absolute who. God called us to be what he had in mind, just the destiny, and we live it out. And it just looks like how it looks like. That is beautiful. And I love being around people that are secure in that. It just greatly encourages my heart. Like, oh, man, they're not pretending or being pretentious or trying to be anything else. And they can also be happy and rejoice for other people, and they're doing amazing. That's the big telltale sign. Did you know that? You can scroll through that social media... And kind of growl and snarl at some of them. But then, hopefully, man, we can say, praise the Lord. He's doing it in their life. It's so good. Okay, so some are going to be in leadership. So what's the deal? Now, the overseer must be above reproach or blameless. Here's what that means. Um, 
Somebody who desires to be in church leadership, <coughs> a bishop leading a church. We'll talk more about that term in a minute. Um, they got to be blameless, above reproach. So perfect. No, that's not what that means. It just means, for the most part, it's really hard to find something against that person. Like, man, I, I, you know, I know they're not perfect, but man, I don't have a lot on them. It's just not a lot. You could find maybe a time where, you know, I don't know, they weren't listening really good or whatever. It doesn't mean they're perfect, but it's just, for the most part, just beyond reproach. Just good people. Blameless. So that's what he says right off the top. He says, the husband of but one wife. (coughs) In the Greek, it actually says, a one woman man. One woman man. There's actually no other words in between. It just says a one-woman man. Some churches take it to mean that nobody can be a bishop or a leader of a church if they've been divorced in the past. Because it says the husband of but one wife. I respect what they're doing and what they're saying and how they read it. It says a one-woman man could also mean they have eyes and a heart and a life just after the woman that they're currently married to. And it's been obvious for a long time. I could see where both churches can go either direction. I don't cast stones either way. Because at the same time, you could have somebody, and we're talking about males in this particular situation, which we'll get to in a minute. You could have a man, he'll be living all kinds of crazy ways making horrible decisions but now he's with his wife now and his background is let's say checkered at best I don't know if that makes him a better candidate to be a bishop of a church than the one that maybe he's got a divorce in his past but that was 12 years ago and ever since then I mean he's been a beacon of light like in his home and obviously loves his wife what do you do? Right? These things are just not easy situations. So the way our church, we read it, and the way we have, all, we're going to have, I'm going to show you, um, I'm going to post on our website, I'll, I'll do it on the volunteer tab, um, our stance on uh, elders and on deacons, which we'll get to in a minute, so you can see, outline what we think. And the way we read the passage of one woman man. So if somebody has a divorce in the past, well, they got a divorce in the past, but there's a lot more to it than that. There's a lot more to it than that. And you're going to see as you read this list, this is not about where did you go to school, what classes did you take. That, that's all well and good, but that doesn't automatically qualify you for any position in church leadership ever. That means you learn some valuable information. That's what that means. But that doesn't mean that your character and your calling are where it needs to be. That means is your mind is in, probably in a pretty good place with some good stuff. But your character and your calling, that is what matters. That's what matters very much. So, above reproach, blameless, husband of one wife, temperate, um, restrained. And it's interesting in the Greek, it's talking about in regards to alcohol. Self-controlled, 
respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage (coughs) his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders, so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. So, you want to become a bishop, a leader of a church? There's a list. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a big list. That's significant. And look at the things that are on there. Again, it's not about schooling and who you're around. It's about how you handle yourself and how have you been handling yourself. Traditionally, when you're talking about the Jewish culture anyways, you're really not talking about elders. <coughs> and I'm, If you notice, I've been struggling with this. I'm saying elders and I'm saying bishops and I'm using them synonymously. Do you, do, you, do you see that? They didn't say anything about the word elder in there, but I've been doing it verbally, and I'm going to tell you why in a minute. Elders and bishops, it, it's, in the Jewish culture, about 50 years old is usually when they would start to consider, hey, listen, they're an elder. They've been around for a while. They've lived life. They have some experiences. And so then they start to like think about those types of people. Is that the magic age? I don't know, but that's just when the, the Jewish people would do it. Do you always have to be an older to be an elder? I don't think so. I don't think so. For example, I mean, he's writing to Timothy. He's going to go lead these churches and, and institute and bring this sort of leadership into place. Guess who's not married? He's got no kids. He's not a recent convert, but he hasn't been around that long. Kind of violating a little bit some of those. He's not exactly a shining like example of it, anyways. Turn to First Peter five. <coughs> so you're going towards Revelation. 1 Peter 5. <coughs> We're going to look at verses 1 through 3. So this is 1 Peter 5. It says, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, this is Peter talking, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. <clears throat> Verse 2. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd comes, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. 
And what I'm also going to do, you can turn back if you'd like, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. <coughs> 1 Timothy chapter 5 says, verse 17 says, The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. So here's the reason why I read that to you is this. It makes it really clear in 1 Timothy, the book we're reading later on, and in 1 Peter, and there's other passages, that elders, they're in charge, they're entrusted with providing for and taking care of the flock. And we also just read that the term bishop was used. All throughout the New Testament, you have these same words synonymously interchanged the whole time. You have bishop, you have pastor, shepherd, elder. Always interchanged. There's never just one use. So does that mean a church can't have a bishop? No, of course they can have a bishop. They can have the title, they, whatever they want. It's fine. Can, they have a, you know, can a church just have elders just rule their church and do it that way? They could. I could see where they could get that. It's a Presbyterian church. You could see where other churches just do it. They call this church like governance, church leadership. They can do it other ways. It's fine. You can see where the ideas are coming from. Again, it comes down to a group of people in a local church, and they say, listen, how are we reading this? Like, where are we convicted on this? Where's our leadership convicted on this? Where do we fall? And a local church has to make those decisions. And again, I said I'm going to post um, on our website what we uh, at least have in place so far. There'll be amendments and things will change. So far for elders and deacons in our church, which we'll get to in a minute. And so for our church setting, we're going to move into, you're going to see as time progresses that we're going to have elders in place. And they're going to be people that are able to teach They're not given to drunkenness. They're self-controlled. They don't have a short fuse. They're not looking to be argumentative. They handle their family really well. I'm looking forward to having like a whole bunch of them. But we have to grow into that. Right? You have to grow into that. See, church leadership is very much about, it's not about finding the right people. It's about empowering people to become who God has called them to be. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you just look at it as a business sense, where you just get resumes, and you just get people, and they just present who they are, and their body of work, and what they've done, you could do that in the business world, that's fine, but that's communicating a message that we're not trying to communicate in the church. In the church, you're trying to communicate the message of, how has God made you? Where is He working in your life? Where has he been working? How has he used you? What does your life look like? Where do you feel most alive when, when you're serving? Like, you're trying to figure out what the Spirit is doing, and then the, the church leader is supposed to come alongside and help people better understand that and equip them and then position them, and, and then the Spirit brings them where it brings them. So it's not necessarily about control. It's about equipping and empowering. 
Does it make sense? And you want the right people like in place in leadership for that. You don't want people who are there because they're going to get a paycheck. You don't want people there because they're insecure, because they need other people to need them. Do you understand how, how horrible that is for church leadership? If you have an issue with self-esteem and you need people to like you, you don't want them in church leadership. Because they're just going to continue to feed that. And those people are always going to get sucked into that trap of not knowing who they really are. And you can't just have yes men either. Got to have people just around it just like, no, like I don't see it that way as you see it. And you just got to be okay with that. <clears throat> so this idea of church leadership and the elders, elders, bishops, the pastors, however it looks for a church, it's very important. Paul is laying out right in the very beginning that their character is very important. And it's really important for Timothy to figure out, man, who's got this character? Who are these people? And if there's gonna be, and the reality is, you're gonna come in contact with people, the church is gonna come in contact with people. We're just like, man, I think they got that on their lives. But they're just, they're not quite there yet. And then it's the church's leadership responsibility to help them get there. Because really good church leadership is going to multiply more leadership. They're not going to say, hey, I'm a church leader now. I got my parking spot. I got my name badge. I got my title. Put it on the website. I got my thing. That is, yeah, amen. Right? That's craziness. So it's like, the idea of church leadership, right? It's, it's all about just serving. It's just, wow, I've gotten to a place now. Well, guess what? I haven't arrived anywhere. I'm now in a position to where I can equip and help build up others so they can go develop more leaders. That's what it's about. It's never to just attain some status that we always really wanted to have. And it just happens all too often and just way too frequently. <coughs> And sometimes church leadership doesn't make sense to people. Why are they investing so much in that person? I don't understand. Sometimes church leadership sees something and they just know something going on in people's life and they just believe in them more than you do right now. And I don't think they're playing favorites. I think that they're walking with wisdom and insight and discernment. They could be playing favorites. Some churches do. They just play favorites. I just get the people that I like and put in positions that I want to and then that's the way we'll do church. People catch on to that real quick, though. So unless you're now part of the light crowd, you won't get ministered to. So you see how everything gets so... There's so many problems that come into this church leadership setting if people are not walking with integrity and character and purity on the inside. Do you see that? So let's get to this deacon. Oh boy, let's get to this deacon part. Here we go. I'm really trying, guys. I really am. To be responsible with time. Verse eight, deacons. Here's the interesting thing. There's really nothing other, nothing else in the Bible really about deacons other than this passage right here. This is it. 
So yeah, there's not a lot here, but there's something. Deacons. Likewise, are to be men worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. It's a little bit different. A little bit different here. Worthy of respect, sincere, not, <coughs> not indulging in much wine. Whereas the bishops, the elders, the pastors, like they shouldn't be really drinking at all. Where the deacons, I, I guess they get a sip here and there. You know, I don't know, but that's <laughs> that's why they administer communion, I guess. You know, they just, they're using real wine then. It says and not pursuing dishonest gain. <coughs> says they must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then if there's nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. <coughs> In the same way, their wives are to be women worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be the husband of but one wife. Sounds familiar, right? Must manage his, his children and household well. Those who have served well gain an under, excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. That's all you get on deacons. Here's what's interesting. Verse 11. In the same way, their wives. So again, here's where a lot of churches do this differently. You look at this in the Greek... It doesn't exactly say that. It doesn't say in the same way they're wives. The wording is actually very different, and a lot of churches fall in different places on this. If you look in your Bible, there's probably a footnote. brings you to wherever in your Bible, probably at the bottom. It says, um, or deaconesses. Or in some versions it says, or the women are to be worthy of respect and not malicious talkers. So the idea being, depending upon the church that you go to, how the church interprets it, it just depends on the local churches and how they interpret it. Either it leaves room for women, deaconesses, or it doesn't. In Romans 16, verse 1, it talks about Phoebe. It seems to imply that she was also um, a deaconess in the church. Some local churches, they don't interpret it that way. They say, no, it's not clear enough for me, so no. So some churches, you'll have only male deacons. Some you'll have male and female. At our church, we tend to read it, or you do read it, male and female. So it won't be a a foreign thing to have women deaconesses. And it will happen. You'll see. So what do deacons do? Like, what is the deal? What's the deal? What's the difference between deacon, deaconesses, and then you sort of have your pastors, bishops, elders? Deacons are the ones that are actually going to carry out the things that are needed in the church. They carry out the acts of service. Whereas bishops, elders, pastors, shepherds of the flock, their primary concern is the spiritual level and affairs of the church. Teaching, praying, having sort of a bigger view of what's happening. The deacons and deaconesses, they carry out all the day-to-day. They're actually the more practical Nuts and bolts, people that make things happen in the church. So like you'll see in our church, for example, in simple ways, the way a service runs, the deacons and deaconesses, they would be in charge of that. 
I mean, the pastor would have a say, pastors would have a say, but that's going to be their realm, their wheelhouse. Helping to pick songs, setting up equipment, putting out communion, following up with guests, all those things, those are deacon and deaconess's responsibilities. Checking in on families, all these types of things. So deacons and deaconesses, they're they're very much um, a part of carrying out the vision of the church. They're integral to it. They're very much front lines, they're very much in the trench, and they're very much nuts and bolts. And again, the idea with deacons is that their character needs to be in a really good place. Because if not, they're going to fall into the same kind of traps that elders and pastors can fall in as well. If you got a deacon that needs to have the title deacon and everybody needs to know that they're a deacon, there should never be a deacon. Call me deacon. Call me, get out of here. What are you talking about? (laughs) Nonsense. See, titles are important because the Bible uses them, but they're not so important that we get hung up on them. Do you understand what I'm saying? And Paul's saying there's this and there's just people in positions in churches, but that's not who they are. That's just a function that God is using them in. Right? Because there's some people it's just like, I'm a deacon and I'm a this and I'm a that. And it's just whatever. Like you could say that, but you know, some people get so weird. We're not gonna be able to finish this whole chapter here. Even though I really want to. But who said we'll stay late? Because I'm going to go with that. All right, here we go. Tell me once. It's not on me anymore. All right, here we go. Says Rick, yes. Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. <laughs> which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of truth. If you want to know what the book of First Timothy is about, that's your verse right there. Paul makes it very clear. The entire reason why I'm writing this book to you is the verse we just read. You will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Wow. Strong words about the church. And Paul is saying, listen, this is how people got to conduct themselves. This is how you got to get it done. Verse 16. Beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. He appeared in a body, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, and was taken up in glory. And we'll get to some more stuff next week. And here's what we didn't even get to today. We didn't even talk about Ephesians 4.11 where it talks about apostles and prophets and evangelists. We didn't even talk about that today which we'll get to next time. Alright? But I hope that your heart is a little more encouraged as far as what the Lord it's, it's, not, it's not just you can't just paint it with a broad stroke all the way across the board. Leadership is going to look different ways in different places. The question is, what's the leadership going to look like in our church? It's going to look like the eldership model. Um, 
looking forward to multiple um, pastors and shepherds of our church. I'm very much looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to deacons and deaconesses just carrying out, following up with people, um, paying attention to detail, um, just doing a really good job, serving in their gift. And um, we're in that season now where leadership needs to now shake out and it now needs to become cohesive and working together. And if we don't go, it's just time. It's just time. It's just time. So I very much look forward to it. And um, I hope you're encouraged by that. I really do. And so that means that people are going to be serving and doing things in new ways and being asked just different things. And it's not because you're so awesome. Right? It's because God is awesome and he's trying to do amazing and just good things through us. And let's just be available. You know? Let's just be available. And um, yeah, so I'm excited about it. I'm very excited about it. Communion? So, Father, I just thank you, Lord, that, yes, we're not all called to the same things. Um, Not everybody is called to church leadership, Lord, but we're all called to be in relationship with you. And the pinnacle of our walk with you, Father, is fulfilling the destiny that you have in our lives. And that, Father, I pray that we continue to just 
see more clearly and be more encouraged about, Lord. It's, it's never really changed, Father, that you always want us just to be in relationship with you and in a relationship where on the inside, Lord, we can just be pure before you. We just let you in, Father. We're closely connected to your heart, Lord. And as we just walk in that, you just bring us places, Lord. And I just thank you, Father, that all of it is just rooted from a relationship with you. And that's always where we need to excel and grow. And as someone who's a church leader, they don't do that well, Lord, they won't be leading very long. Nobody will be being a deacon for very long. If we can't just fall in love with you and with your heart, and we're just missing it. And so I thank you that we have the privilege to be in relationship with you, and I pray that we take advantage of it, Lord. And people that we know and love that are just struggling, as far as being close to your heart, we, we just pray for them. We lift them up to you, Lord, and we just we pray for just a, a stillness and a quietness in, in their heart and in their mind. Give them an ability to be settled before you. And I just pray that we would just be open to your still, small voice that just speaks and ministers to our hearts and comforts our souls and gives us direction. We thank you for the great privilege to be in relationship with you, Lord. And we thank you, Father, just for your blood that covers us, washes away our guilt and shame, The enemy wants to remind us of all of our failures and inadequacies and how we can't be used, (coughs) how things will never change or be different. I thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness. We thank you, Lord, for the blood that covers us. And I pray, Lord, that this blood that covers us, that washed us clean, that we can become that and give that to those around us, that we won't keep records of wrongs, that we won't be okay with being bitter and resentful and fill those of us that need it with the courage towards greater surrender to you, Lord. So we just thank you for your blood, Father, that covers us, and we take and we drink. God, we thank you for your bread, bread of life. Pray that we feed on you continually, Lord, especially in your word, Father, that just feeds our souls. We need it, Lord. We need it. It's good and it's healthy, Father. And I pray that you just continue to open up our minds and our eyes to just new revelations in your word. Pray that we would just be excited about what you're ministering to our hearts in your word. 
Holy Spirit continue to show us and teach us how to apply things that we learn from your word. We can't put you in a box and there's really not a formula for a lot of what you do. So continue to teach us. So we take and we eat. So let's stand. We're going to close in prayer. Two passages I love about uh, leadership that Jesus uh, modeled really well. They're not typically used, but to me they speak volumes on leadership. One, Jesus said to Peter, his, his guy, right next to him. In fact, the paragraph before, he was like complimenting him, saying, great job. So encouragement is good for a leader. And then, what he says to him, he says, get behind me, Satan. He says, get behind me, Satan. You're not talking about the things of God right now. You're talking about the things of man. Because Peter's telling him, he's like, listen, you don't have to die. There's another way we could do this. And it's like Jesus had zero tolerance and patience for that. That's interesting. I feel like it was kind of rude the way he said it, but it's interesting. Right? Leaders, they're supremely focused on what the Lord is speaking and ministering to their hearts. When something else tries to invade that, they just, ah, they just can't have it. Here's the other thing, number two. Jesus gives us a very clear illustration and picture about servanthood. And how to lead. John 14, he gets down right with his cloth, washes their feet, says, hey, listen, this is how you're going to serve. This is how you're going to lead. So at the heart of any leadership, is always serving them. And anytime we flip those, right, we get it messed up. So Father, I just pray, Lord, that um, we all carry different levels of influence here in church, at homes, at work. We just carry different levels of influence. But I pray that, um, Holy Spirit, you just give us a great clarity to your voice and what you're saying. So we can bring it to any situation. And I also pray that you would just show us how to serve others really well. What does that look like, Father? When is, when is it just too far? When is it not enough So give us wisdom. Help us to grow on that, Father. And I thank you, Lord. You're going to continue to rise up leaders, Lord. So, Father, I just thank you for this time. We thank you for your word, Lord. Jesus, you told us not to pray for a lot of things, but one thing you did say to pray for is more laborers. So we pray for more laborers, Father. Send us more laborers, Lord, and fill... Um, each and every person that's continuing to get built up with more courage, Lord. Give them a strength, Lord, to fight the good fight. So we love you and we thank you, Lord. Bless our week this week, Father. May we go out and influence well. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 <clears throat>